0: sick with the slang sick in a dustin for fame, fame. do for the fan not for the grand stunt you that for pain, pain. do not front. i do not scam put some respect on my name, name. sick like a rain clickin a bang y'all go remember the name hey. y'all go remember the name what's up ladies and gentlemen boys and girls around the world i would like to welcome you back to the real talk with zooby podcast on today's episode we have got on nick buckley who is actually running for mayor of greater manchester He is also the founder of an award-winning charity, and he's got a very interesting story. So welcome to the show, Nick. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to coming on. Awesome, man. Great to have you here. So I've done a brief intro there, but tell the people who you are and what you're about.
1: So as you said, my name's Nick Buckley. I'm from Manchester, born on a notorious council estate, had a normal childhood. Well, it was normal to me at the time. Um, Had no father lived in poverty but again at the time it's just life you don't realize that I then wasted my teens and my 20s thinking I was going to be a millionaire by one deal then in my 30s I started working for a living and I ended up working for Manchester Council working with young people trying to stop them getting involved in crime and anti behavior hmm. and then from that I was made redundant and I used that redundancy money 10 years ago to set a charity up to carry on that work working on the streets supporting kids to make positive choices and that charity has been going for a decade we've won a handful of awards and then a couple of years ago i was awarded uh, an mbe of the queen mm-hmm. of england for that charity work
0: congratulations man that's a that's an mbe is a is a big award so congratulations for that so i'd like to uh Learn a little bit about people's past so I can understand where they are now. So what was it like growing up on, you said, a notorious council estate? What was that like um, back in that time? I mean, this is going back decades ago in Manchester. What was it like at that time?
1: So we're talking about the 70s. Um, It was, for me, it was normal. It's only with hindsight you look back and you see the mistakes of where you lived, the mistakes you've made, the mistakes of your parents possibly. Um, I had a nice childhood. I had a loving family. Um, I had no father. I have no memory of my father at all. They, my mum and dad split up when I was two. Never saw him again. He died when I was seven. A car accident. He went through the windscreen. Um, I went to a, a poor school. It was a failing school. They closed it down the year after I left. It was that challenging that one of the teachers got stabbed 42 times in the chest. Whoa. Another teacher got sexually abused by a gang of lads in the stairwell. And I could walk from my English lesson to my geography lesson through a hole in the wall where the kids had kicked the breeze blocks out of the wall to make a doorway that was the sort of school I went to wow
0: okay wow okay that's uh that's heavy and I mean moving into the the work that you did tell tell us more about that work, so you obviously came out of that community and you wanted to i presume give back and help to make things better.
1: so can you talk us through that journey um yes. I didn't want to give back. I didn't want to make my community better. Oh, okay. now, that, that's just <laughs> what happened along the way. Okay. So I don't want to take credit where no credit's due at all. Oh, fair so through my we teens and 20s, I was a taker. Okay. I took out the system. I took anything I could get my hands on. Leg- legally, I wasn't you know, I wasn't a criminal. Um, I would claim benefits. Sometimes I was not entitled to the benefits, but I'd claim them anyway. Um, and I just looked after myself. I was a selfish person, and I looked after myself, just like the vast majority of people in the country are. It was only when I got a job at Manchester council and I only took that job because at that point I was unemployed and needed the job. So I took the job again for me, not for anything else. And it was while working in that job that I started working with people whose job it was to make other people's lives better. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever come across people like that. And they were being paid for it. It was a job, but it made me look at society and look at community differently. And then I got some other jobs within the council And that was when I landed a job working with young people. And again, I only took that because the money was good. Mm. Again, looking after myself. And it was that job that really changed me because I realised almost immediately I was good at this. Mm. This was something where I I felt that I had not only a passion, but a skill. And that skill was I came from the same streets as those young people. And I knew when they were pulling the wool over my eyes. I knew when they were lying. I knew when they were playing the victim card, saying, oh, I live in a deprived area. I've not got a father. My mum's like, oh, don't give me that, son. I've heard all this before. Mm. It's personal responsibility. You're the one who threw that stone that hit the bus. Don't tell me society made you do that. Take some responsibility. Mm. And I called it tough love. And there was love in that because I wanted the best for these young people and I wanted the best for their parents. And -hmm. I could offer their parents help and support. Because every parent I ever worked with wanted their child to do better and wanted their child to have a good life and do better than they did in life. And that's innate in all parents. And I wanted to tap into that so me and the parents could get that child back on the straight and narrow. And this was early intervention. This was before these young people were causing serious problems or were being arrested. It was about stopping it before they got that far.
0: I got you. And where do you think that you yourself got that sort of mindset of personal responsibility for because it sounds like when you're describing may, perhaps your late teens and your early 20s it sounds like you yourself describe yourself as a, as a taker um, and so I assume you didn't really have that necessarily instilled in you so where do you think that mentality came from?
1: Good question um, I've just finished a couple of who I finished writing a book Part of it is about me. Part of it is my journey and I'm linking it all the time to personal responsibility. Mm. So I've given this a lot of thought and it comes from several things. It comes from, as a child, I lived with my granddad. We shared a bedroom. He would, he was the only male role model in my life for the first 10 years until he died. And he'd tell me stories about the second world war because he was in the Navy being sunk by torpedoes, shark infested waters in China, eating snakes and these were the stories he would tell me at night in bed that would make me want to travel that made me want to do something so he instilled this sense of adventure into me Mm. and then when I went traveling I realized for the first time how lucky I was that that it didn't matter that I grew up in poverty on a council estate in South Manchester because I was still in the top 1% of lucky people in the world and that makes you reevaluate your life mm. and how you look at things when you realize I'm poor, but yeah, I'm still in the top 1% of the world. And I've never experienced hunger and I've never experienced abject poverty. So what have I got to complain about? Yeah. And I remember talking to a family living on the streets in India and they'd had a good day and a good day to them meant the father had collected enough food for a family meal that day. And that's humbling. That's and they were they were happier than most people I knew back home, and they were living on the street corner in this wooden makeshift box, and that makes you really understands poverty and how to be grateful and appreciate what you have 100%. and then again, with the personal responsibility i've on my own business in in my twenties that instills personal responsibility because if if you don't do it, it doesn't get done
0: mm-hmm.
1: and just like you now you run your own business you don't work nine to five it can be 11 o'clock at night midnight you're still thinking about what needs to be done tomorrow what needs to be done next month what needs to be done next year what chances can you take how's the bank balance have they paid that invoice you never switch off when you are self-employed when you run a business especially if you have staff and i've I've had staff in the past because you've got their lives and that's where i developed my personal sense of responsibility but it was always internal my personal responsibility was never what can i do for anybody else
0: yeah i hear you what you said about traveling there is such an important point it's something i really i'm very blessed to have lived in multiple countries and also beyond that traveled to i think about 35 different countries now and even with a concept such as poverty poverty is a very it's a very relative concept so if you're talking about poverty in the uk versus poverty on a global level, it may as well be two different words, right? Yeah. We're, we're talking totally different living standards and access to certain things, etc. So, of course, I understand in any in any country, in any city, in any place, you're going to have a top 1% or 10% and a bottom 1% or 10% in terms of income, wealth, etc. And that looks really, really different in different countries. So, someone who's in say the the bottom 10% in the UK like you said on a global level they're still likely in in the top 10% globally they're not going to be you know risking dying of starvation or malnutrition or you know dying of certain diseases or just not having access to um, even you know basic things like plumbing right having, yeah. having a toilet and running water etc electricity things that we in the UK we don't you don't even think about right someone could be yeah. in so-called poverty in the UK, they still have a 50-inch television, um, you know, a car sometimes, in some cases, even even uh, two cars. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people are still con- considered poor there. But when you see other parts of the world, if you go to parts of Asia, Africa, South America, especially, et cetera then you see, you you get that perspective, and that perspective gives you the gratitude, I think, to understand, okay, maybe stuff isn't, wherever you're from, maybe stuff isn't perfect, but... But you're still very lucky, very fortunate, very blessed. And you, even if you don't have those things now, you, you, you've got the opportunity to rise up, right? You, you got yeah. you could you could come from a council estate, uh, I don't know, single mother, single father, whatever the situation is in the UK, USA, countries like this. But there's upward mobility, so you can at least. It's not saying it's going to be easy for everybody, but you can see a a pathway. Whereas, in, again, in some places, unless you move, unless you emigrate or something. <coughs> the ceiling is very, the ceiling's very, very low.
1: No, absolutely. And I do understand when people get a bit angry in, you know, Western world, when they see somebody else with a lot more than they have, even though what they have is a lot more than the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I understand that comparison. And to a certain extent, that's fine because you can work towards that. What it taught me was not to, not to be envious of what other people have, because I know I have enough. I mean, I want more. Of course, I'm human. We always want more. But it it made me realise and made me start appreciating what I had that wasn't materialistic. Mm. It was family. It was friends. It was my health. It was little things like even when I was unemployed decades ago, I had something called the public library. And I was always taking books out and reading. Most countries in the world don't have libraries. And it's all these little things we take for granted in the UK that in the rest of the world don't exist or they wish they had. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we need to acknowledge that and say thank you to the people who went before, who made this country and made our lives better today by the sacrifices and the fights they had generations ago. And we just need to look back sometimes and go, thank you for that. Mm. Why
0: do you think that's so rare? Why do you think people don't do that more often?
1: Take me as an example, selfish. Through mm. my teens and 20s, Pure, simple, selfish looking out for myself. And it's a human trait.
0: It's weird. I feel like we live in a time where there's it's almost trendy to be negative and to take the yeah. worst view and interpretation of everything. It's almost like there have been so many wins. I mean, if you look over the past hundred years, or the past century, the amount of progress in a country like the on, on every front, um, That is something that should be acknowledged and celebrated as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's very, very, we were just talking about before we jumped on this call, it's extremely important to be aware of history and to know of bad things that have happened and atrocities and things that, but with that, it's also being aware of the progress that has been made. And it seems like it's really, really trendy to criticize everything and want to tear down and dismantle and deconstruct everything and, you know erase everything, cancel everybody even if they're already dead, etc., and not think, okay, hang on, what led to the prosperity we have now and what are some of the good things, what are the positives that we can take away from these people in the past, but it seems like that's not um it's not a very popular view these days.
1: No, and it's because we keep comparing today with utopia. Mm. Instead, we should be comparing today with yesterday or a decade ago or 50 years ago because we've come such a long way my uncle my uncles so the brothers of my father dead father Mm -hmm. have told me many stories about when I was a baby in his arms and he was an Irish immigrant came over here with nothing with a a shovel and a pickaxe to build the roads and he couldn't get accommodation because he was Irish yeah and he'd be turned away he used to have to send my mum who was English Mm -hmm. with me on on their own to get the accommodation then he would turn up once they got the keys and pay the deposit because once they heard his accent mm-hmm. in most places it wasn't welcome yeah and we look at that too. to compare to now yep. and we look at the i've had a book um a couple of months ago and um, you may have already read it george orwell wrote to wigan pier
0: i haven't actually read
1: that one i've read oh, 1984 and animal farm but i haven't read that one read that it's about poverty in the north okay. of england and it's poverty Mm-hmm. And all I kept thinking when I was reading this book was, this would have been my life if I was born in the 1930s. This would have been me. Yep. I don't think I'm strong enough to have done that work because we're, we're a weaker breed now than we were, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. Now that that was hard, backbreaking work surrounded by poverty and malnutrition.
0: I haven't read the book, but is that the one where he talks about people having to like, crawl in these tunnels in the miners yeah 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 yeah. i've maybe i've read an excerpt from it because i Mm -hmm. i know a little bit about it but i don't think i've read the whole book
1: it's well worth reading okay um and what i like about it is at some point he says i'm paraphrasing now this isn't word for word what he says but he says something along the the lines of the english like the idea of socialism they just can't stand socialists (laughs) and i read that and went that is so apt That's just like today. We all want a fairer society, but Mm -hmm. we can't stand the idiots, the woke idiots who are banging on about how unfair life is in their mansions, on their iPhones, driving BMWs. Mm -hmm.
0: It's really interesting that story you said actually about your dad with the accommodation, because in fact, the same thing happened to my father when he came to the UK Um, and he's a medical doctor and he had the same thing. I do need to get my dad on this (laughs) podcast because he has has, uh, infinite stories. Um, but it's interesting you said that your your dad faced that as an Irish immigrant because, again, with some of these issues, because again we live in this time where everything is racialized, right? Everything is mm. just you know race, 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 white. It's it's people literally talk like it's black and white, mm. and so people again they they forget to acknowledge that these type of discrimination and prejudice and you know xenophobia, racism, whatever it is, it can it can run in 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 different ways, right? So mm. now people would never even. I don't know, like Irish have kind of just been brought into the, I guess, terminology of what people now would call white. But it's like, okay, that wasn't always the case. And even if you um, go to a black majority country where you have different ethnic groups and tribes, et cetera, there there are still there's still discrimination and biases and things like that. And again, I think when people have this very sort of limited Western worldview, they just see it as it's just black and white. It's just skin color. And it's like, no, it's it's tribalism. Which yeah. can, which can, be based on skin color, but it can also be based on all these other things. And it seems like it's just something about human nature, and um, just foolishness and stupidity, really, more than it is uh, something that's just about mm. okay. It's just it's just the skin color, and that's it.
1: It is it's tribalism, and, I th- and it's also genetic. We're mm. programmed to promote our own tribe because our genes are shared within that tribe, and it's about mm-hmm. promoting and pushing our genes forward into history. So it is a human trait. That doesn't mean we can't overcome it, because we, you know, we've made great advances, and we are overcoming it, and most people have fully overcome it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, even though it's a human trait, it, it's not set in stone. No. And we see it all over. We see it in football matches. That's tribalism when you have mm. you know football hooliganism. You look at Northern Ireland. Yeah. There's no genetic differences between poli- people yeah. in Northern Ireland. They spent decades killing each other. I have family there. My stepdad is from there. I've had holidays in Northern Ireland in different parts. I understand that issue mm-hmm. there. And it's it's it all comes down to tribalism, yeah. us and them. And I'm on the side of us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's even it's extra interesting in Northern Ireland because, again, you're talking about You know, if you're talking about the violence between Protestants and Catholics, you're still there are still all Christians. Not only not only are you Irish, you're actually the same. You're just different denominations of the same religion. And then even if you look at things like Islamic terrorism, you know, who are the majority of victims? It's other Muslims. It's other followers of of Islam. It's just different denominations. I mean, it's a it's a bizarre thing, man. Human beings are I always say human beings are both the best and the worst thing. In the world, um, <laughs> there's so much mm-hmm. love and generosity and kindness and meaning and family and all these wonderful things. But then it's also just like, gosh, what is wrong with people? You look at history, even you look at the now and you're just like, why do people do some of these things? Um, but I'm really curious to learn more about the uh, um, about this charity work that you've mm. done. So you, you actually founded a charity, is that correct?
1: Yes. So a decade ago. Okay. And what was
0: that about? Tell us about it.
1: So I took redundancy from the council and I used that money in my savings and I ploughed it into a charity and what I wanted to do was hire youth workers to work on the streets in the evenings, at weekends, in the parks, outside shops, on the street corners and go to where the young people are and build up relationships and offer them advice and guidance. So rather than waiting for young people to either make a mistake and then get in the system to get help and support or to walk into a youth club and ask for help and support, which they won't do why don't we take services out to young people why aren't we customer customer focused you know why do we expect young people just to accept what we're willing to give them well let's go to them and let's give them a quality service so we go to the areas that are having problems with you know youth crime anti-social behavior we go to the spots where either young people are involved in negative behavior or they may be taking maybe involved in risky behavior and we build up a relationship it may take months to build up a relationship sometimes but we build up a relationship and then we can have frank conversations and we talk about things like employment we can get them jobs if they're over 16 if they're in relationships we talk about what a positive relationship looks like what safe mm. sex looks like and why you need to practice safe sex we can do training on a phallic symbol about how to put condoms on because you need to know for when you need to use one yeah We have conversations around drugs and alcohol. We break down some of the myths and then we give them the right information. And it's not as simple as saying, don't do drugs. We all know don't do drugs, but I'm gonna do them anyway. But if you're gonna do it anyway, that will show you how to be as safe as you possibly can. And then if you come across like girls drinking in the park, Mm. no, it's like, we know you're gonna carry on drinking, but we we say to them, you all need to stay together. She's drunk now. You're all responsible for her because she's drunk. Do not leave her on her own. Gotcha. And it's about that advice and guidance. And so we just try to do what we can to give these young people some positive options. Awesome.
0: Um, and how long? How long were you working at that charity for? You said you started it. You say over over a decade ago.
1: It's been ten years. Ten years, 10 years. this okay. this year. So okay. yeah.
0: So you had a you had an incident last year where. Um, to use the modern day parlance, you got cancelled, essentially, yep. um, you came under <clears throat> a lot of criticism and scrutiny. Uh, what happened?
1: So, it was summer last year, George Floyd had died. We had um, some protests in the UK uh, for Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and I would not really heard of that organisation before. I think the first time I'd have heard of it was was seeing you on Twitter.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> i blame you for everything fair enough i'll take it i googled black lives matter to find out what the i just thought it was an anti-racist organization yeah, yeah yeah. so I googled it read their website read their aims their objectives and thought to myself this has got nothing to do with being anti-racist this is a marxist organization in fact mm-hmm. it's a post-modern marxist organization they've swapped mm-hmm. the working class for uh racism that's what they've done and they want to dismantle the nuclear family. They want to overthrow capitalism. They want to defund the police. And I'm reading this going, this is crazy. Does anybody know any of this? So I yeah. spoke to my family and friends, and they just said, oh, no, it's an anti-racist organisation mm. because of the death of that poor black man in America with a police officer. And I said, no, it's not. So I decided to write a blog, and I've wrote several blogs before. So I wrote a 700-word blog explaining what I'd found out and then ending with, And if we really want to improve the lives of black people in the UK, this is what I would suggest. So I talked about knife crime, genital mutilation. And I ended it with, and why don't we build some houses? Because not only what, because where are all these people going to live? And building houses will improve everyone's life, everyone's children's lives. So I published that um, on LinkedIn and it got some comments and it was all fine. And then someone cut and pasted the link onto Twitter and Twitter's mental and Twitter did what it always does. So there was a big outcry on Twitter. I got called a racist and a Nazi. I had one woman email, sorry, she messaged me on Twitter saying, I take on board all your charity work you've done, but you're still a Nazi. I just think you're a compassionate Nazi. Wow. And that that was the best insult I ever had, a compassionate Nazi.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. And then what?
1: so then someone set up a petition to have me fired that I got 450 signatures the board of my charity who I appointed panicked did you say 450 450 signatures that's not
0: even a lot but yeah carry.
1: that's nothing um, <laughs> but at the time it felt like the world yeah, I mean, yeah I'm a bit flippant about the incident now but believe me at the time mm. the pressure the stress my board panicked they didn't believe any of it But they wanted all this to go away. So they sacked me over email. And then I decided, no, I'm not having this. So I mounted the fight back. I then went to the press, got some, got quite a lot of press, actually, especially with the mail on Sunday, Mm -hmm. Uh, the free speech union came to my rescue as well. We got a slithers on board, the online mob all disappeared. Once I got national press, every single one of them disappeared. Not one more person ever criticised me again on social media. We That's shut them all up. Yeah. They were just bullies. Yeah. Once they realised my gang was now bigger than their gang, mm. they just all walked away and went, do you know what? I'm scared now to have this fight. There'll be someone weak around the corner. Let's go pick on them. That's yeah. exactly what they did. Yep. And then we looked at the board of my charity and I threatened them a legal action for breach of contract and they resigned within 18 hours so they were cowards as well 18 hours that's how much they stuck up for the charity took them 18 hours
0: wow that's uh that's quite an experience i mean what was it like when you were going through it i mean like you said you can talk about it you know flippantly now but it it must have been it must have been intense it must have been a lot
1: oh horrendous horrendous and at this time i just had the birth of my first grandchild okay and that was really upsetting. That I wasn't there for my grandchild. Um, I was stressed. You know, uh, we're bonding now, but it really damaged my relationship with my newborn grandchild. Mm. Um, that was the biggest downside to what happened. The pressure, the stress, the amount of people who would phone me or email me to say, "Nick, this is appalling. I agree with you. Everything you said's fine, but I can't say any of it online or publicly because I'm worried about my job." And it was like. Fair enough. You've got a mortgage and a family. I don't want you to die on your sword for me. Yeah. Um. It was a learning curve, and it's changed my life. Mm. It's made me reevaluate what I'm doing and where I'm going, and I have made quite a lot of changes. Uh, okay. Because of it all.
0: Gotcha. Um. Where was most of the criticism coming from? Twitter. Okay. I mean, I mean, in sort of, was this. Mainly UK-based people. Did it? Did it hit the sort of US crowd on Twitter? No, no. Oh, okay, it, just UK. Okay, it was, it
1: was mainly was... UK, and a lot of it was was focused around Greater Manchester, because okay, I, I've actually got a list of all the 450 people who signed the petition. <laughs> because after I was fired, the person who set the petition up sent the list of names, that printed that out off um, Change.org, mm. and sent it to the board to say you made the right decision, and this is a list of the names. So when I came back into post, it was in my email box. Oh, wow. I looked through it and some of the names upset me. It was like, there was one mm. person who I spent hours with helping trying to get them a job. Mm. Um, I then offered them a place on my board several years ago because I needed more experience. Okay. So he was on my board of my charity. There was another couple of people who were the adult children of a member of staff of mine. And what was upsetting there was This was, I found the list eight months after I came back. Okay. But when I came back, because of the damage to the charity, I had to make some members of staff redundant.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And their mum was made redundant. So her children wanting me fired. I see. Led to their mum being made redundant because of the damage to the charity where she worked, which is quite ironic.
0: Yeah, it is. What were the charges being levied at you? The usual stuff, I guess, just (laughs) racist, 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 or.
1: Not so much that, because some people said that. Okay. But I think the the biggest accusation was writing while white. Oh, Because as a white man, I'm not allowed to write about black issues. And that was the main accusation. Who am I to comment on this issue about black people? Who am I to put forward what we should be working on to improve the lives of black people? Who am I as a white man to have any say on this matter? That was the main accusation
0: interesting as if um <laughs> as
1: if no white person has
0: ever ever done that one before um yeah, and I,
1: I don't forget and i have just spent two decades of course i'm aware. working in greater manchester yeah. with young people yeah. and you know probably 30 40 50 of those people mm. you i would class as asian black mixed yeah. race so it's 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 crazy though because
0: to to these kind of mobs like that stuff doesn't even matter you know because it's all it's all performative it's performative and it's bullying it's not about what is making a tangible difference it's just virtue signaling Mm. and it's it's performance it's you know hey look i've i put blm in my bio hey look i posted a black square on instagram hey look i just i held up this sign or whatever it's it's performative it's not okay what are real world tangible things that are going to make this difference right the statement you know i mean black lives matter has to be the most intelligently and sneakish sneakily brilliantly named organization ever conceived because yeah. they 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 nailed it with that one because any criticize criticism of their organization is met with oh so you disagree with the statement right and yes. you know that's obviously was done intentionally I've I've been aware I've been talking about this since to a degree since 2016, right? Yeah. Right, privately, you know, because the the organization has been around for a while. I don't know why last year with the George Floyd thing, that one particularly, that one particularly went very international. Lockdown. Maybe, yeah, I was gonna say actually, probably because people just wanted to get out of the house for yeah. something. But um, you know, they've been playing this game for a long time. I myself have taken a lot of heat, a lot, a lot of flack. Yeah. I won't even get into it all for um criticizing Black Lives Matter. Um, too early, right? Because in the summer everyone was all hyped up and was jumping on the bandwagon, but I've noticed that now it's okay to critici- criticize BLM now, right? Like enough people have uh, taken the initial <clears throat> bullets for other people to be more bold and to come out there and, you know, and, and then there's been this uh, bombshell that dropped just a couple of days ago about the the founder buying, <laughs> spending yeah. millions of dollars buying all these homes and so on. Black mansions matter. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it just blows my mind. But, but the, th- the crazy thing with this is, I mean, maybe you've had this, but the people who make these criticisms, it's very rare for them to, even if they're proven wrong or and you're vindicated, it's very rare for them to come back and say, you know what, actually, you were right. Like, I, I look, I've looked into this thing properly, and okay, you had some good points to make. It's like, you know, they kind of sneak off and disappear, and that's the thing I kind of find extra annoying because it's like, oh, come on, like, at least – You know, if you've done that to someone, or you were just were that wrong, it's like at least say, okay, um, yeah, I was, I was wrong on this one.
1: It's taken on a form of orthodoxy ideology, Mm -hmm. and it's it's very similar to a religion now. So, if your religion commits atrocities or believes in crazy stuff, you still go along with it because it's your religion, and that's what this anti-racist woke agenda is. So even when we can prove them them wrong, they still won't believe it because then the words you're using, they will change. So this isn't racist because we've redefined the word racist now. Change change the word, yeah. Yeah, and they will come up with a new phrase. And when you were talking before about it being performative, I look at it more like a game. So you say this, so I've got a card for that. It's called institutional racism. There we Mm -hmm. go. You're Mm -hmm. gonna say that I'm gonna pull a card out, oppressed minority bang there you yeah, go yeah. And it's like playing top trumps <laughs> they're putting up cards with with, with with their best phrase on it and they're putting that on the table
0: yeah yeah and it, it's all the same there, there are certain just phrases and words and buzzwords it's like if you remove these 15 uh, terms then they can't even speak anymore because like they and they can't even define them so if you ask people in most cases if you ask people okay what do you what do you mean by that you know they just respond by being indignant or telling you to educate yourself or mm-hmm. read a book or be better rather than you know and what do you
1: mean by that i don't know what you mean by that because that sounds like whiteness you're asking people to explain words that's yeah. whiteness yeah yeah it's just now, being on time and whiteness and being punctual <laughs> whiteness
0: yeah sounds like white supremacy to me um yes. <laughs> And then there's um now they're talking about multiracial whiteness, aren't they? And multiracial white supremacy, no. as if like you know, it it blows my mind. I I think um I don't know. I think in the West, I think maybe this is one of the downsides of um. <laughs> I'm a free speech absolutist, but I think one of the downsides of free speech is um people perhaps think that every everyone's speech or everyone's ideas need to be sort of taken equally seriously. Because we're just running with a lot of really stupid, really bad ideas, which in the past, I think people would have just been like, what are you talking about? Like, you go in the loony bin, whereas now it's like, okay, wait, like, let's, uh, let's consider that one, you know, oh, well, maybe, maybe men should compete with against women in pro sports. Like, maybe, maybe, yeah, actually, that's, that's, a, and, and it's just, it's just bizarre to me. I'm like, you can clearly see anyone sane knows that certain ideas are just terrible, terrible ideas that are going to harm society, but we've somehow reached this strange place where so many people are cowed and afraid that they won't speak up on some of these things, even though they themselves know, okay, this is bonkers. This does not make sense. You're you're saying that the sky is yellow when I can clearly see that it's blue, but I don't want to be the first person to say that the sky is actually blue because then I'll get the mob on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you've alluded to, and I, as, as I try to tell people, the mobs are not that, Scary. These online mobs are cowards. It's even why they attack. <laughs> in, it's why they attack in packs. And if you stand your ground, they will disappear very, very quickly. They'll 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 go away. You know, they'll they'll hunt for forty eight hours, and yeah. then if you don't give in and you don't do the weird fake apology or whatever, they'll go away and they'll find someone else to bother. Because as you said, it, it's a game. It's um yeah, it, it's a it's a it's like head hunting, right? They just want it. They just want to get you. Hey, we got this one. Another yeah. one. Another scalp.
1: And that's mm. what it is. How do you take anyone seriously online who doesn't give you their real name and calls himself Patman82? <laughs> if, if, how can you be a sensible person and take those, that person's views sensibly when they're called Patman82? Mm. I always have my full name and who I am on my bio for several reasons. But one of the main benefits of that is it makes me sane as in it makes what I put, I think about what I type. Yes. Because this is going to represent me now. Yes. And just like you, you'll you'll get a message of somebody who just wants to go. Aah! But I have to go, no, I need to be professional. So mm-hmm. I'm not gonna answer that person. But when you're Patman 82, you can say whatever the hell you want to say, and it makes you brave behind that keyboard. It so does. I advise everybody. Don't be a coward. Put your full name on your bio and stand by the words you say, and that will make you a real person.
0: I'm with you on that, man, 100 percent. So I want to talk about you running for you're currently Um, running for mayor. Um, So
1: tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Well, the elections are the 6th of May. um, And in Greater Manchester, which is for your viewers, it's a large region in the north of England. And we have a mayor who looks after that region. There's quite a lot of powers looks after um, many things, um, transport, uh, the police, lots of other things there. Mm -hmm. And his term is up and there's about nine people standing. And I decided to put myself forward for two main reasons, really. The first reason is in Manchester, we've got a serious problem with rough sleeping, Mm -hmm. people sleeping on the streets and dying on the streets. Mm. And this problem only started 10 years ago. Up to that point, we really didn't have a problem in the UK. You know, We're quite yeah. lucky we've got a, a social benefit system here. Um, but we've now got people living, you know, hundreds living in Manchester on the streets. And I've had enough. I've had enough of walking past these people. And I've run homeless projects. I've worked on the streets with these people, getting them into accommodation, getting them into employment. It can be done. Mm-hmm. It takes political and determination. It's not even an issue of money. We're spending hundreds of millions on this and achieving nothing Mm. so I want to end that and because all every politician says this and promises to end it and never seems to I put my neck on the chopping block I'll end this within a year or I'll resign Mm. because about time we have some politicians who who put some meat on the bones and says this is a promise and this is what will happen and if I don't resign at the end of the year I want people to play all these clips back to me and say (laughs) to me you're being corrupted, Nick. Yep, You're doing yep. what you said you were going to fight against. Mm-hmm. You need to resign and hopefully I will resign, but I think I'll fix it. Okay. And then the second point I wanted to stand on was Greater Manchester Police. So we've got a dedicated police force for this area and it's been judged by the government for the last four years as failing. Mm. And then in December, just gone, it was put into special measures, which means it's failing that badly. The government are having to step in now to help run it. And it's, what have we done here? How have we run our police force into the ground over four years when we've had a mayor overseeing it all? So the chief constable, who's the top police officer in the force, walked away and retired. Okay. So we allowed him to retire. If you worked anywhere else in the world and you ran your organisation into the ground, you'd be sacked. You let him resign on full benefits and just walk away. And then the mayor, who's ultimately responsible, has washed his hands of the whole thing and went, not my fault. Even though I'm in charge, not my fault. Mm. So I want to save Greater Manchester Police. It's becoming too woke. We're looking at too much. We're placing the internet too much inside of the streets. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to basics. I want to increase public confidence in the police. And I want the police to catch criminals. We've got knife crime. We've got people dying on the streets in Greater Manchester. Let's tackle that instead of tackling some of the other issues. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. I think that's very realistic and pragmatic. And I like that it's two main points because when politicians of any stripe promise everything, promise the world, then I become more skeptical, right? Because it's like, Mm. well, you're not going to be able to do all of that. So why not take two or three Mm -hmm. and really work on it? Um, With the homelessness issue, that's something that really intrigues me. Um, Number one, what do you think it was that caused, you said in the past 10 years, it became a much bigger issue. What was it that happened 10 years ago that led to that?
1: So 10 years ago, we entered a period of austerity where the government cut all the budgets, hence why I was made redundant. So we came out of the 2008 crash and cuts started coming and governments and councils, not the council's fault because they get their money from central government and Manchester council has had 55% of its budget cut over the last 10 years. So wow. these are huge cuts. So they had to make some real difficult choices. Hmm. So a lot of the funding to the small charities would be working with vulnerable people all got caught. Oh, okay. Some of the services from drug addiction, mental health got caught. Hmm. Some of the homeless services got caught hmm. and people went bang, 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 bang. And some people found themselves on the streets. Gotcha. And then at the same time, we then had cuts to the police. So people who would be begging all day in Manchester City Centre, we then allowed them to beg all day to buy drugs, which then compounded their mental health issues, mm-hmm. which made them then stay on the streets even longer. And it was like a perfect storm. And that's how, 10 years ago, we developed this huge problem in Greater Manchester.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I, I, um, I used to go to Manchester quite a lot to... Sell my CDs in the in the city center there, so I'm yep. very very familiar with Manchester City Center. Um, yeah, I mean homelessness is a it's a, it's such a tricky one because it's it's something that's universal and has, as far as I know, has always existed to you know at least to, to <clears throat> some extent. In some places, it's awful. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been to like Los Angeles or San Francisco or ridiculous there. Like it's,
1: it's not I'd like anything. Yeah, okay. I've not been there recently. I mean, I've seen uh, okay. I've seen some of the Western countries. Like, I was shocked when I saw it in Canada, and I was shocked when I saw it in Australia, living um, on the streets. Yeah, I thought it was half expecting it. The times I've been to America,
0: mm-hmm. I- I'll tell you, L.A. and San Francisco are are something else. They're something else. I've been mm-hmm. to every city in the U.K. and no. there is nothing in the U.K. that even rem- I mean, just L.A. They have <clears> six sixty thousand homeless, sixty thousand. Yeah. And it's not just that they're homeless. It's the levels of drug addiction and the obvious mental health problems. And, you know, I'd never seen people just smoking crack on the street and shooting heroin on the street until I went to California in 2019. Oh, and, come to Manchester. You'll find, you'll oh, find that, that now. now? Really? really? Open drug
1: injection, open drug dealing. Uh, we've got the homeless people fighting among themselves and stabbing each other. Yeah. We've got homeless people with squeezy bottles of bleach
0: Yikes.
1: because it's a it's a. A, um, a defensive weapon. That if oh. you come near me, I'm going to squeeze a bleach in your face. Yikes. So the, the violence inside this group is horrendous, and, and we need to save them from themselves as well. I get you. Okay.
0: And how are you going to do that? What What policies <clears throat> do you have in place to make a real and genuine change there?
1: So the first thing I'll do is we need to crack down on begging because begging funds the drug addiction, mm-hmm. and it's a drug addiction that keeps people on the streets. And forces them to turn away support because all they can think about is I have three more hours now to beg for more money for more drugs because I need more drugs in three hours. Mm-hmm. So I don't need help and support. I'm concentrating on begging for money for drugs. So, we need to crack crackdown on the begging trade, people then will obviously take less drugs and they'll be in a better position then to be spoken to and hopefully offered help and support. At the moment, we have a one size fits all. So when we're working with rough rough sleepers on the streets, the councils, other services will say, this is what we can do for you. Do you want it? Mm -hmm. And the answer is usually, no, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So why do we keep offering the same services? What's wrong with these services that people would rather live on the streets and slowly die than take the help and support on offer? And the answer is no customer service, no customer choice. We want to do things to these individuals i'm going to do this for you i'm going to do this to you but mm-hmm. well, we should be sat down going here's your choices here's your choices this hostel that hostel you don't want a hostel yet that's fine but let's get that leg locked out so we don't have to amputate it let's look at getting you some drug support if you're stay on the streets for a bit longer that's fine mm-hmm. but let's start this journey doing something give you some choices when you get people vulnerable people broken people They've given up making choices in life and that's part of their problem. Mm. And what we need to do with broken people is to give them choices. Sometimes as simple as do you want a tea or a coffee? It's your dream. You need to decide. And the more they make, and it sounds a bit silly, but the more they make some of these choices, the more they realize I'm a person, mm. I'm human, and the choices I make affect my life. Mm. So therefore, maybe I should make some better choices and think ahead. And this is a slow process. And then some of the hostels we can get people into. Some, you'd never want to sleep in yourself because, you know, they're, they're dangerous. You're going to get robbed if, you know, the violent, strong people dominate. We need to split people up. We need to say to people, you've not got a drug issue, so we're going to move you straight into hostel B because that's for people below need. That's for people we can move on really quickly. You need to go to hostel A because it's a lot smaller. There's only four beds there. We've got a drugs worker there all the time. And this isn't rocket science. The people who are running the services at the moment in Greater Manchester, the people who have been running them for decades, so they haven't solved it, but we keep asking the same people to keep solving the same problem by doing the same things. Mm. and That's madness. They keep getting the same results. Do you
0: think that's perhaps because there's a perverse incentive there, perhaps not to solve the problem? I think that can often be an issue with... I think that can often be an issue with some mm-hmm. public services or certain jobs, right? Where actually, if you solve the problem, then you're out of work. There's like a weird, there's yeah. a weird incentive there. It's a bit like a personal trainer who doesn't really want to, doesn't really want that client to lose weight <clears throat> or learn how to do those exercises properly because then they could be, uh, they could be out of a job. Yeah,
1: a bit like a vice hustler He doesn't want to admit that. <laughs> was, no, actually, there I is no more that. <laughs> Exactly. I was actually going to use that
0: example but I was like you know what let me
1: use one that's a little less uh, <laughs> a little less on the nose. I agree and the charity sector yeah. needs needs looking at. So and rough sleeping in Greater Manchester is a multi-million pound business. So okay. some people have got a vested interest. I've not come to a stage yet where I would say they're not trying to solve the problem. I've never met anybody yet like that. So I don't want to go that far down the you down down that road, but it is a, it is an industry um but again with charities what i would like to see with charities but this has to be a national thing in the uk is we have charities you set a charity up and you state your, what your aims are and then you have, you're held accountable to your aims that we my charity will work with young people to help them make positive choices a charity should also state when they've achieved their goal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they should close down So what we have with charities is mission creep. So Mm -hmm. do you know what? Child poverty isn't child poverty anymore in the UK. So what we'll do is we'll change the definition of what child poverty is so we can keep going. And now we're going to look at this. And we just keep pushing and pushing because we're a multi-million pound organisation. I've got a golden-plated pension, and I don't Mm -hmm. want to close this charity down. So let's just keep saying we've got issues. Charities need to stay when they've achieved their goal and then need to close down and then start a new challenge up with a new goal. And that's what we need to do.
0: That's a fantastic point. I've never actually that's not something I've ever considered before, but <laughs> that's a that's a brilliant point because yeah, there's so much scope creep in these things. And as we mm-hmm. know with, with any organization, whether it's a, a company or let alone a government or an NGO, or whatever, they always tend towards growth, right? Just growing and growing and Oh, entering this and entering that, and after a while, I'm like, "Wait, what is your purpose? Like, w- what are you yep. doing?" It's it's a bit like when I'm seeing these. <laughs> it's a whole other issue, but with, with some of the police when they're starting to, uh, you know, like, why are police like putting rainbow flags and transgender flags on their cars and going to like? Pr- I'm like, w-, I'm like, you're the police. Like, what? What um, do you... are um, are the stabbings down um, to zero? No, then stop. Right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. you're you're there policing tweets and harassing people for facebook posts sir. for no I'm, I'm like wait hang on are are the murders rapes assaults robberies bur- are, are these things down to zero yeah. um if, if they are then cool we don't need police anymore i'll support i'm, I'm with you defund the police but if not <laughs> yeah. but if not then please stop with this nonsense and get back out there and solve the problems that actually need to be solved like all this virtue signaling and nonsense it's like Nobody wants this. Nobody asked for this. Nobody wanted it. Just stop. You know.
1: It goes beyond that, for, especially for the UK police, I to the Greater Manchester police. For me, it's a, it, It's what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lack of professionalism. Mm. So we'll have police officers dressed up as rainbows for the pride parade. <laughs> now, police officers should be at the pride parade to maintain law and order. To police, to police. They should be there. Yeah. They shouldn't be there to take part of the parade and be entertainment, <laughs> because that's not what we're paying for. <laughs> and it's crazy. The amount of police officers I see who don't even shave. And it's like, you're a public servant. I expect you to shave tattoos halfway up the neck and the face. And you're a police officer. It's like, no, we, we need to professionalize the service. And my biggest pet hate is police officers, we call members of the public, love and mate. Like, excuse me, he's certain, she's madam. No matter what your engagement is, I I don't want you to be their friends. I want you to offer professional service because if you don't, they then presume this is personal, that your interaction is personal. Mm -hmm. And if they have a bad experience, it's because it was personal. It should be, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe. All I'm going to do is enforce the law. Yeah, That's my job. Like then you see police officers on these TV programmes, they're flying the wall documentaries where they're arresting somebody and they're rolling around in the mud putting handcuffs on somebody and they're shouting, stop struggling, you muppet. <laughs> it's like you don't have to abuse. I know you're fighting with the person and you should be fighting <laughs> with them and you should be putting – I agree with all that. Yeah. But even, even at that point, you should be shouting, stop struggling, sir. Yeah. Because yeah. you're a public servant, yeah. and, we, and we've got away from all this. The police are professionalizing now in our country, mm. and if if I become mayor, they won't.
0: I hear that. I hear that. I mean, <clears throat> man. I mean, the, the police in the some of the police in the USA are, are. I mean, they're 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 effing and they're they're just swearing at people and cause I'm <clears throat> just like, dude, like, you know, I'm gonna effing shoot you. I'm gonna. I'm like, <laughs> this yeah. is like this isn't just unprofessional. This is like some militarization of. You know um, uh, you know I, I guess everything has its pros and cons but um mm-hmm. yeah you see some videos yeah I mean, I've, I've seen i've seen bad videos from the uk but certainly from again one... you just
1: you said the crucial word video that? yeah everybody has a video phone mm-hmm. what you may have got away with 10 20 years ago it's over yeah. everyone's got a video phone so i like the public recording the police yeah it yeah, is. Uh, the police should never be scared of the public recording them that's because true. you shouldn't be doing anything wrong that's true and have you noticed since we've got video phones there's no more ufo sightings <laughs> <laughs>
0: well all also, ufo sightings i, I also no noticed video i also noticed last year that the the i think the pentagon pretty much like borderline admitted that they that they have like evidence they have genuine evidence of UFOs, but there was so much other stuff going on, and everyone was so obsessed with um Trump and Trump and the virus and whatever that they yeah. they sort of glossed over that. And I was like, wait, hang on, hang on, like aliens, like can we can we talk about the aliens? <laughs> but yeah, um, people's attention is a funny thing. So um, so what is I, I was going to say what is next for you? But I already know you're running for mayor. You've got a book. Bu- is your, your book is coming out or it's out already? Tell us about your book.
1: I'm in the process of looking for a publisher. So if you're a publisher out there, um, please get in contact. Um, we're approaching publishers at the moment, um, but we've not got a deal yet. Okay. Um, it's called Lessons in Courage, A Journey into Personal Responsibility. Mm. So it starts off about me and my life, about how I've got to where I am, what happened to me in the summer, and how I fought back and how I had the courage and the skills to fight back. And I can relate all of that back to past experiences. So growing up as a child in school and stuttering, you know, all the way through school, I stuttered when I tried to talk out loud in class. So you Mm -hmm. can imagine the stick I got. And that toughened me up. Yeah. Um, You know, living on that tough council estate toughened me up. So I talk about that. And then I also talk about how we all – need to be more courageous because at the moment all we're doing in society is is being cowards we're allowing things that we know are wrong to happen because we're too scared to speak out and where this is going to take us could be somewhere really really dark if people don't start standing up and saying the king is in the all together instead of just nodding and agreeing and and that's what we need to do because the vast majority of people know right from wrong and they, and they they know what silly is and they know what sensible is. And we know these things. Mm-hmm. People just need to stand up and go, this is what I believe. I love that.
0: Nick Buckley, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really good to talk to you. Where can people find and follow you on social media?
1: I'm on virtually all the social media sites at Nick Buckley MBE, all one word. And I've got a Patreon account where I buy articles, videos, that again, Nick Buckley, MBE.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nick. Great to talk to you.
1: Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick of